episode 53 of Cherokee Rewind here. I am Mick. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. And, of course, this time around, uh, we're going to go with a coach, a guy that was a former assistant coach here with the Cherokee back in the day, a um, guy who played hockey at, I believe, Western Michigan collegiately and uh, also played in Toledo with the Toledo Storm of the ECHL. Uh, my goodness, this guy has done a little bit of everything. And I believe currently is the bench boss down in Bowling Green for the girls or the women's hockey team. This guy goes by the name of Mike Witten. And every now and then I call him Wit, just for just so you know. But, uh, hey, Mike, how are you this this uh, fine day, sir? Oh, fantastic, Mick. Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. Looking forward to spending some time with you this afternoon and kind of reminiscing and going down memory lane. So appreciate the opportunity, my friend. Oh, you great. bet. Thank, thank you. Um, not a problem at all. My pleasure is all mine. But let's first start here. First, uh, you played uh, you played in Western Michigan. What was it like going over to Kalamazoo to play? High? Well, first of all, let's start with the basics. I usually do that with most of these. And that is, uh, how old were you when you first got on some skates? I was just—I was—I think I was five years old. I think back growing up in uh, uh, where I first started playing hockey was in Oshawa, Ontario, a uh, town about a half hour east of Toronto. I think they kind of got us Canadians back in the early '70s. By uh, uh, you have to register for hockey before kindergarten, so <laughs> kind of got us by uh, kind of got us by the tail there. So yeah, so about five years old, I started playing. Okay, so you were born and raised in Oshawa. Actually, I was born and raised in Scarborough, which is in the eastern part of Toronto. Yep. Moved there when I was, as, a, as a five-year-old, if you will. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Good Canadian boy, eh? Anyhow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, so you play you play out there as a kid. Who, uh, What coaches do you remember as far as growing up playing? You know, that's a great question, and that's it's very timely. And I and it's something I he's, he's actually works I believe in in Windsor, and it was really interesting on LinkedIn about a year and a half ago, Nick. That uh, I saw a post from a guy, and I thought, oh my gosh, is that is that the David Gilbert? That was my Pee Wee hockey coach in 1982. I played for an Oshawa minor hockey travel team, a double A team, back in the day, and what really impressed me. And really, really struck a chord, even before I even thought about hockey as, as anything of anything. But he was the first coach that would did a practice plan and posted it on the inside of the dress room wall. And it gave us the timelines. He printed everything out, drew his own diagrams. And it really kind of showed me or set the foundation of what preparation and planning for not only as a hockey player, but as a future coach would look like. So David Gilbert was by far the person, and it gave me an opportunity. It was my first travel team too. Wow. If you will, a double A. So, yeah, so it's amazing how you look back and you look at some coaches and they'll say you get good coaches, maybe not so good coaches, but then there's a couple that really stand out and, and really set, set some sort of, you know, blazing trail for what you want to be. So uh, Dave Gilbert, great question. Thank you for asking that question. Hey, no problem. Uh, now, you know, you, you play hockey. Now, did you play uh, travel throughout your uh, secondary school years, like through high school and et cetera. Or yeah, you know, you know, that's another. another these are great questions. I, I, this is fantastic. I was just talking about my wife this the other day. Um, my my travels to play hockey were a little unique, a little different than most folks. Uh, 
for right or reason or whatever that is, I the highest level of hockey I played up until junior was double A. I didn't have the opportunity or or did not have the skill set, skating or whatever you wanted to, to play triple A hockey or, or conventional travel hockey as we talk about here, how you travel all over the place. Yep. Obviously, growing up in Ontario, uh, there was a higher population or, or more denser population of players where you didn't necessarily have to travel that far for you know conventional reasons like you do in the United States or Northwest Ohio or Detroit, where you could, heck, we had junior teams every 15, 20 minutes oh, you know, yeah. in, in, in three different leagues. So, But with that being said, I played double-A hockey up until 18 years old. Hmm. And, um, yeah, and then with that being said, I had some friends, and if you don't mind to continue on with this, yeah, I sure. had some friends who I played with, and actually I played hockey for a, a team called Goulding Park Rangers, and some of my friends had older siblings that played, quote-unquote, for U.S. college hockey teams, and they played triple-A hockey, and I'm like, what is that? And they said, uh... What it is, is, is back in the day, it's, it's still existent, that Canadian colleges do not uh, offer athletic scholarships. And so a lot of the Canadian players, you know, chose not to go major junior, but choose to go to like a tier two junior A, which will allow them to, to remain amateurs and allow them to be eligible for American college scholarships. Oh. So. Yeah, so, but but it's funny, if I could pause there for a quick second, if I could digress, because I was mm-hmm. actually looking forward to hoping this question would come up. When I played double A for Goulding Park, which is part of a Toronto team, mm-hmm. I played in the 1988 Silver Stick National Championship final game of double A, mm-hmm. and... Um, and was it was what's the American, and, and actually, oh, in, in Port Huron, and we lost to Team Toledo. Really? And and it was interesting, Mick. For all the little paraphernalia stuff, I still have the program. And I remember a number of years ago, I went and looked back. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I see Vargas, Mankowski. I see, you know, Awesome Mark. All these names, like some guys that I've known now. Fast forward many years. Oh, yeah. And just kind of, yeah. And, and, and it's funny. Doug Smalley played for the team, actually, uh, that I lost to. And, um, and it became, I've become, I was good friends with Doug Smalley over the years. But and we kind of reminisced a little bit about that. But long story short, um, yeah, that, that was my, that was my idea. And, they, and a lot of the folks, guys, said, hey, if you want to go to the U.S. colleges, you know, you, you have to play junior hockey. And, uh, you know, I, I made my way as a walk-on, if you will, to a, a junior hockey team in Markham, Ontario, which is a, a little north of Scarborough, mm-hmm. and um, played there for a couple of years. And then with that being said, uh, the team was going to fold, and a, a coach by the name of Stan Butler, who was uh, went on to be a, a Canadian junior national coach and uh, had a long, long role with the Brenton Battalion and North Bay Battalion in the OHL, um, recruited me to play junior hockey for him. Okay. And then from there on, uh, he was good friends and networked. And that's where he networked with Ron Mason, Jerry York, Bill Wilkinson of Western Michigan, a bunch of Division One college coaches. And that's where I learned another great role of, of, of what, what not only the skill set, 
but networking your, your skill set with the, with other folks. So I may went off tangent there, Nick, for a second. So, but anyways, I kind of wanted to share the story that you know, just because you don't play travel hockey, or you still stick with it, find a love for the game and find your niche and network the heck out of yourself because there's opportunities out there for many people. So, anyways, I apologize if I kind of went on went on there for a second and no. <laughs> you know a little bit. So wait, I wait, I have a rule here. We go all over the place, so do not. I if you it. if you want to change directions on a dime, feel free. You're 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 in safe mode here, so <laughs> no need to I worry. I, trust me, I'll stop you and I'll throw in an aside myself. So don't worry. Perfect. Mm. Perfect. I love it. So now, uh, so how were you recruited to Western? I mean, you talked about you know that he that your coach networked with these folks, but who was it that did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Actually, so what? This was a this is a true story. So uh, sometimes we didn't we didn't have like you know the the, the sophisticated weight programs and so on and so forth in, in junior hockey Canada that you do have here and all the facilities. So we would go to actually the coach's house and we work out in the ba- in the basement or the garage. And I remember vividly uh, Stan Butler getting on the phone, calling coaches, saying and and. and he said Ron at one point, and I, and I suspect it was Ron Mason with Michigan State at that point in time. He said, hey, Ron, um, I've got a 6'2", 6'3", 205 power forward. I know you've got a few folks graduating. You've got Kelly Harper, Michael Burkett, guys that played the previous year for West, the Wexford Raiders and the junior program that I played my final year in, in, in in Toronto and said, hey, if you don't scoot this guy up right away, somebody else will. And he advocated for his players left, right, and center. And not only did he do that, he would actually schedule college visits to different colleges. And we did visits down, sorry, visits down to Bowling Green, Miami, Clarkston, St. Lawrence, Michigan State. And he would advertise the heck out of his players to promote them on forward. So, um, and so when he does that, of course, then the, the college coaches – uh, if there was a level of interest, and back then there was no internet, you know, there was no cell phones. <laughs> it was it was snail mail and faxing. Yep. So you know, and phone calls. And so, uh, with that being said, the college coaches would come up um, and and scout us, and then do their due diligence and recruiting and form relationships. And uh, you know, uh, you know, and I had, and I had a few. few college coaches that were interested in me in my final year, the previous two years, nothing, if you will. And uh, so that's how, how it happened. They watched me, and then um, there was an opportunity at Western to fill a role. And uh, I guess the rest is, uh, is for me, it was his Bronco history there in Kalamazoo. So, you, so it was great. So you head into Kalamazoo, and you uh, what was it like when you the first time you hit the ice and you saw all these guys that were there, uh, did, were you a little nervous? Any apprehension, or were you more uh, excited to prove something? Completely overwhelmed. Great question. Uh, excited, nervous, fearful. It's amazing how those emotions are, are the best motivators in life sometimes. You know, feel of failure. I remember going out there, and then, you know, obviously you'd be playing with guys that are recruited and they're the best of their teams. Mm-hmm. My roommate at that point in time, uh, that was assigned to me. His name was Ryan Darcy, and he played at um, 
University of Notre Dame out in Saskatchewan for the Hounds. Yeah, I know that and, team very well. Yeah, so, so, so he played and he broke a bunch of records and he was phenomenal. Just a, and I looked at him like, and I said, my roommate at that point in time, Mick, night and day different. So I remember hitting the ice and during captain's practice and, you know, guys like names that some people may know from the area, Pat Fershweiler, he was assistant coach at Detroit Red Wings under Jeff Blaschel. He's out there flying around from Rochester, Minnesota. A bunch of other guys, actually a local, another local guy in Ottawa Hills, Andy Suey was a senior um, at Western when I was a freshman. I was a little later getting in there. So yeah. So yeah, he also played for the storm too, right? Right. So we kind of rekindled a little bit and uh, we play a little uh, old man hockey, if you will, uh, uh, during the season at, at Ottawa. Ottawa Park when weather permits. So we always talk about the good old days with that. But another player who, uh, who I end up becoming pretty good friends with and uh, stallmates was Keith Jones. Um, as you, some people may be familiar with from NBC Sports during the halftime and you know, the intermission um, segment with Catherine Tappan. So uh, Jonesy and I, well, he sat, I sat beside him and let me tell you, you asked me about fear and intimidation stuff. I don't think I said a word to him for the longest time. I just listened, hear, hear what he had to say, and so on and so forth. And it was just a great education. And it was funny. You can imagine this. My roommate, we're doing captain skates, and obviously there's no contact, guys. are just skating. And it's like the fastest shinny I've ever had in my life. Like, it was the fastest, you know, little. And, um, I said, I said to my roommate at the point in time, I said, I think I'm so overwhelmed here. My game is more of a, a, a power game, if you will, a, a physical game. And he goes, well, you know what? Go accidentally run somebody out there. You know, find somebody that, you know, you won't, if he wants to drop the mitts to you, you won't, you won't lose a fight to a practice. Just go do that. I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and try that. So I did it a couple of times and, uh, uh, wasn't a big fan of the seniors and juniors, Nick, but I tell you, I gave me some credibility and um, made you kind of the player I was, and it made me, it allowed me to, to kind of adapt myself to uh, the college right away. So everybody has a different role in a team, and uh, I, I played that physical role, but it was a lot of fun. Lots of fear, a lot of motivation, and just a heck of an experience. It was the greatest four years of my hockey career. It really was. Do you remember, um, do you remember your first game in a, in a Bronco uniform? I do, vividly, vividly. Or you we play, who'd you I'm play? Sorry? Go ahead. Well, who'd you play? Yeah, we had a road game. We played the University of Illinois Chicago Flames, um, the UIC in the, in the Pavilion, and actually that was the former college of uh, another form, another uh, former um, Citadel Storm player, Rick Jetson, played there. So uh, Juddy played there before I was there. But uh, I remember playing in that in that rink. They, they only last, I think, in the CCHA. That was the week we, week we played it for a couple of years. But uh, uh, my first game, and trust me, I was not a big point goal guy, uh, was actually an assist, speaking speaking of the devil, if you will. I drew a, a puck back to, uh, as I played center my first year, to Andy Sue, and he scored it. And he scored off the point. So, and he wasn't much of a goal scorer, too. So if Sue's listening right now, he's probably getting a chuckle on this. But, uh, yeah. It was um, it was a, it was my first game, and uh, it, it was it was very very interesting. It was yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it was exciting. It was fast, and uh, I was in Chicago. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> Best of all worlds. Now, do you remember your yeah. first goal? My first, yes, I believe my first goal. 
Let's see, was that, that that night? Yeah, I believe so. So we played on, you know, as many people know, that college hockey is played on Fridays and Saturdays, and sometimes depending upon weather or whatever that is, you play very, very rare weeknight game. Mm-hmm. And it was a Tuesday or a Thursday. I think it was a Tuesday. We played Ferris State um, at, at at home on a Tuesday night, and we ended up beating them. I think four to two, maybe five. I don't know the exact score because I was really overwhelmed, to be honest with you. Because I I scored not only my first, but I scored my first three goals in that night. Wow! And uh, it was interesting. It's like you know, I like I think I got six that year. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I, I think maybe six that year. And it's interesting because. Uh, when that happened, it's like you know, the, the, the the school newspaper, the Western Herald, they uh, they made an article, natural hat trick, and I'm like, guys, what's a natural hat trick? I need to remember, what is that again? You know, like, oh, it's when one team, one player from one team scores three goals in a row, you know, un, uncontested by the other team or their own team, or something, something to that effect. I should probably know that better, but at any rate, that's it. You know, there's, yeah. And they're like, I'm like, oh, please, uh, knowing that the, the next, like, 27 games i got three more it was like it was a pretty good accomplishment for a freshman and you know so it was uh it was all on one night so it was uh it was quite the 15 minutes of fame that i got so <laughs> that's great now uh now when you were at western uh was the team successful in terms of wins and losses yeah you know we did we did we competed very well the first two years uh we struggled um we had we had, we had uh, a good level of talent in the seniors and then toward my junior year i think we did the, we did the best i think in 94-95 uh, we competed in the national championships back then they invited i think 17 teams and uh, we ended up going out to uh albany new york and playing out there um and we were a top 10 for a short bit team in the, in the country so the first two years we weren't maybe on a national scale but the last two years we did we did pretty well we had some really good really good uh, talented uh, freshmen and sophomores that came into the program so we were always very competitive um you know in a, in a league back then where you competed against or you had the, the michigans the, the the michigan states and even small schools that uh, are overlooked now that were powerhouses back in the lake superior states with a an enrollment of 2000 you know students uh, they were very very good so we were always you know middle of the pack uh, very competitive even back then, Notre Dame as an independent, just getting into college hockey, they were uh, they were very competitive at all. But obviously, it didn't take long for them to to turn their program around. So yeah, we were. I think I thought we did it very well for ourselves back in that in the early nineties. So now you finished playing at Western, and did you at any point think that you were done there, or you were done competitively, or were you looking uh, aggressively to catch on somewhere? You know, it's a great question. So going back into my career playing double A hockey, a lot of people at that age at seventeen years, even before that were that that had a pathway or trajectory to put that for for hockey, they were getting like you know drafted into the major juniors, the OHLs, the WHLs at sixteen, seventeen, if you will. I was because I didn't play travel hockey. I wasn't even on that radar. So just getting into junior hockey was one of those things. Like okay, um, identified an opportunity, a role to play. I played that role and, and was relatively successful. 
Same thing for college. When, when players are 18, 17, 18, or whatever, they're going to play college division one, division two, or whatever that looks like. Um, they were eligible for the NHL draft. You know, I was not even in consideration of that because just because of my uh, the late age that I went to college. And so I remember, I was in actually, it's funny, great question again. I was in the penalty box at Lake Superior State with like three minutes left in the game. Um, don't know why, probably something I, you know, alone, I probably did something not responsible. But uh, I remember looking at the clock on, I think my hockey career is done. I think it's done. And I'm just going to sit back and just look around, absorb this and say, you know, I've got a, co- a college degree. You know, it's, I beat the odds. This is very successful. And so, you know, at the end of the day, went back home, you know, back to campus, collected thoughts. And um, Bill Wilkinson, my coach at that point in time, had relationships like a lot of college do with professional teams. And uh, essentially, made a, had a, you know, with, with Pat Quinn of the Vancouver Canucks and said, hey, Mike, uh, I'm not sure what you want to do. I know you're undrafted. You don't have a, a professional contract, but uh, uh, the, the Syracuse Crunch in the American Hockey League, that's their, their inaugural season back in 1995, um, they're not sure if they're going to make the playoffs or not, but uh, a lot of their players were just called up to the Vancouver Canucks. They're short. Would you be interested in you know, going to Syracuse for a short time? And I'm like, oh my gosh, a third time resurrection, I guess, in my career. I'm like, yeah, so I worked out with my professors at Western to do my exams a little different, you know, do a little late, later. Left school because now I'm an amateur. I feel I'm a professional, obviously, and that I would not lose my amateur status. And sure enough, I went to Syracuse and had a few cups of coffee in the American Hockey League, and um, it was a lot of fun. Played, uh, you know, played four games there. I was up there for a couple, a couple of weeks. Didn't make the playoffs. Came back to Western, finished, uh, wrote my exams, and then I thought I was going to call it a day. Well, people, scouts and people kind of got, took notice that that's what you were doing. And, uh, and, uh, got a call, I got a call from Toledo, uh, from other, uh, you know, a few other places. And they said, Hey, we want to see, you want to come to training camp. And I'm thinking, I got a degree, you know, they're still in really, relatively good shape. I still have a kind of a, a burning for the game to, to develop and get better. Let me give myself a three, four year plan, you know, to, to, to develop and, you know, who knows where this will take me. And so that's kind of to answer your question. After Western, um, you know, that's that that was kind of the the the, the thought process. If there was opportunity, I was going to grab it by the horns and, and go with it and see what happens and, and make the best of it. So and that's how I got the Toledo. I was going to say, how did you? I mean, you said you had other opportunities or other folks that were looking at you. Uh, why Toledo? So interesting enough, I had Columbus. I had. Let's see, ECHL teams, Erie. Um, I actually had a couple Southern teams. And ironically, at that point in time, I met my future wife uh, at Western, and she is from Toledo. Okay. And so it was an ironic, ironic, uh, I guess, world collision where Toledo called me and she expressed the most interest. I knew a bunch of guys because some of the guys from Bowling Green and Ferris State, you know, ended up going to Toledo. And we kind of, we kind of keep a network, even though you didn't have a large, you know, social media. I don't think social media was even existed in no. 95, if you will. You know, so you had some sort of network that you, uh, we all had calling cards, I think. And you mm-hmm. hey, where are you going? Where are you doing? What you doing? And so we'd all talk. And then obviously my, my wife, you know, my future wife was from here. 
had some familiarity from visiting and I thought, you know, um, being an hour away from the border and, you know, going up in Toronto, it's only five hours away. My parents are like, you're living in Toledo? I said, yeah, I could be living in San Diego. I could be living in Dallas. I go, I'm not too far away from home. So right. geography from home, the familiarity of, of, of the, the space in the city of Toledo and just the, the networking and, and the guys that I knew that were going to be playing for Toledo were, the reasons why I ended up playing and picking, and obviously they wanted me to, so uh, playing for the storm from back in '95. But of course, you know, so, yeah. meeting meeting the woman that you fell in love with uh, probably didn't hurt either. Yeah, it, it was a great player, but the best part is that her family had no idea about hockey. It was the it was uh, and it was funny. It's like she always would say something to the fact that she was. It's amazing. I never heard about hockey growing up at all, and I'd be invited over for like a dinner or something, and. You know, my father-in-law would. She would say he must have. He must have read the paper. Or must have done some homework because she was asking really good questions. I go, yeah, I was really surprised. I go, I was actually quite impressed. And, well, well, mother-in-law, you know, mother-in-law, yeah, uh, stepmother-in-law too. They're both like, boy, he. They went. They went and watched. Like, he, he plays pretty physical, is he? And what's he like uh, off the ice? And it's like, you know, everybody's got a role to play, and you know, everybody's everybody's a little different based on what they need to do. So yeah, it was uh, it was kind of fun, kind of fun to talk about it back in the day. Okay, so you you end up uh, coming to Toledo, playing for the Toledo Storm. Um, aside from uh, wearing a jersey with the ugliest logo in all of minor league hockey, <laughs> um, what was it like playing back then? Obviously, um, I mean, because the folks at the NHL level, I used I can remember watching it on television. They always thought of the ECHL as more of a a beer league, like a lot of fights and that's it. And it's like, I'm like, eh, not so much. I mean, yeah, it's physical and yeah, you got your share of scraps, but there was some really exciting, entertaining hockey going on down there at one main street. Oh, no, no question. I, I it's amazing. When, like I said, when people would go other places and I, you know, I had friends played Raleigh, East, East, East coast league down in Louisville, South Carolina, you you pure, you name it. People went everywhere, and, they, and when we you'd reconnect, and they would say, you know, what's it like to play in Toledo? We hear that place; it is a zoo or a barn. I said, well, first and foremost, I go the rink. If I remember the the dimensions, was like 180 feet long by 80 feet wide. And for those that are listening, standardized NHL rinks are 200 feet long by 85 feet wide. So there was a, a, a lot less square footage to play in. But so so you think of the you fast forward and you think of the the, the, the people that you know, with the USA Hockey developing the ADM model for small spaces and stuff. If you had to have you talk about the Ian Duncan's, the Dennis Purdy's. You, I can go down the list of guys who played hockey there that were Judsons, you know, that were very, very skilled in my era. You know, be able to play and operate in those tight spaces. And trust me, when you played in Toledo with that small rank, the other teams, they were bringing their finesse game. <laughs> they, they were bringing, you know, their, their, their heavy, you know, the heavier players, more physical, but they knew that they wanted to take away time and space. And so the skill set for the players in the storm, you know, um, you know, not everybody. I I played at a six two, six three, two fifteen, two twenty. We had a, a a bunch of handfuls of those, but we also had equal balance of, you know, uh, 
faster, maybe smaller players that were more skilled that would, you know, that would complement the team perspective. And that's why the team was very successful in the early 90s for Riley Cups and so on and so on. So the game itself, you're right, Nick, it wasn't a beer league. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like that at all. But let me tell you, there are some of the toughest, most dedicated players that I've ever played with. And the crazy thing is, sometimes the jokes were that the fans were even tougher and more more dedicated than the players because it's like you didn't want to disappoint them. Uh, the bench is obviously for people that are familiar. There wasn't like boards behind us at all. There were, you know, there were just. Fans. <laughs> fans. And if, and, if, and, if, and if, you know, if Mike Witten wasn't doing what he thought, I heard it like within three inches away. So it's like you, you, the, the, the accountability from your fans and the diehards were second to none. So it, it was great. It, hockey was great. Um, the environment was, was second to none. And uh, it was just a great experience that, playing in there. Um, and of course, you know, there, there was some, there was some t- tussle ups and some, you know, Achilles here and there. But fans loved it. But uh, you know what? To be successful, you got to put pucks in that too. And that's what this team did a lot of work as well. Yeah, and and it's funny because I remember as a kid going to that rink, going to that barn, and it was like, I mean, it, when the when the I went there when the Hornets played, I went there when the Gold Diggers played. Uh, my gosh, the. I mean, back then they always had 10 cent beer night, but when you saw the product on the ice, you knew why, especially the Hornets, but uh, they were, yeah, they were horrible. But I mean, at that point, but then when the gold diggers came in, uh, it was in the seventies heyday back in the era of slap shot, the movie, uh, that kind of stuff. And it, it was very physical, very chippy, but there was also still some, some really good goal scores and some skilled play going on down there in the green and gold era. And uh, Toledo was very successful back then, winning a number of Turner Cups. And then, of course, when they came back after hockey went away for a couple seasons and came back, uh, the, the winning those Riley Cups, or Kelly, well, they're Kelly now, but back then they were Riley. Um, winning those Riley Cups really brought the, the fiery passion back for the Toledo fan base for hockey. And the 90s were very much... Uh, a, a real love affair with with the storm. I I really believe that. I mean, people remember, especially the like the I'd say the first ten years, ten, 15, 12 years. People remember the names of those guys like it was nothing. Obviously, you know guys like Dunk, uh, whether it was him, uh, you know uh, Chief, you know Greg Pahulski, uh, of course uh, Marty Mc or uh, rather uh, uh, what's his name McSorley, Chris McSorley. Uh, Ron, Aub- of course, the pugilists were always the most popular, whether sure. or Ken Tasker, Ron Aubrey, all those guys. Um, and then, of course, you got this other guy around that was uh, he was tough as nails and uh, went by the name of Witten. And uh, just uh, I mean, there were guys that everyone remembers because they played physical. They played with passion. And you can't BS fans there. That's that's what happened to, I think, a little bit with the Goldigers near the end was that um that you know you could play good you could play well but the crowd you couldn't fool the crowd with what you were trying to do and i mean they did everything from bringing in the the commissioner of the ihl to be the coach to all this other stuff and it's like mm, these guys they wanted they knew what they wanted and and, and they didn't always get it and i think that uh with the storm they 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 understood that 
uh, the, the fan base, whether it was uh, Barry Soskin with running the team, uh, you know, I think he kind of understood the Toledo fan market. Uh, I think that, you know, the fact that he got guys in there that were passionate, that uh, had a real fire for the game. Uh, and I think that it, it showed on the ice. And especially, like I said, uh, the Storm, they had the ugliest logos, but by God, they were the... <laughs> They had the 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 probably the most popular teams, and that's why other teams were nervous. I won't say afraid or scared, but eh, uh, apprehensive. I'll, I'll I'll be nice, apprehensive about coming into the sports arena because when you went into TSA, uh, you knew you had to bring your lunch pail and your helmet. You're gonna have to put in a full night's work if you wanted to get out of there alive, and that, half of that was the players. But the other half was how fanatically rabid the fans were. Totally, totally, Mick. You know, it's funny. I, mean, I was just listening. I was just going in, going in the list of just stories that have been conjuring up that I've, I've actually forgotten about the fans and the team and the makeup. And the, I like, it's funny. I, I don't know. It just kind of dawned. I mean, we played one time. I think we were very short bench. I think we had some calls to the American League or injuries, whatever. And I think we had. Maybe like four or five guys on the bench, maybe six. And at one point in time, Chief suited up and uh, played with us. And I think at that point in time, we were in Johnstown. And uh, it's funny because we suited up and it's like we all look at each other. I'm like, I guess Chief's going to be on the power play for the most time. You know, we got to go think, And I think the ECHL at that point changed the governing rules that, that I, I had coach at that point in time before, you, and not even a player coach can dress up. But uh, it's, that was just one quick memory I would just think, just brought up while you were talking. But you're right, the fan base, the, the buses they would take down, um, you know, a, lo- a lot of the similarities of the cities and the stories are like slapshot oriented, you know, they're, they're just the diehards. Uh, there was an establishment that we go out to, uh, across the hall, or across the street, down the way the Consult Tavern, you mm-hmm. know, for lunch, you know, and then we, we talked there, had our, had our you know, rookie parties there, and you know, just, just different things. Like, and it's interesting for those that know in the hockey community, you know, or back in the day uh, in, in the seventies, the Philadelphia Flyers, they went through a, they had a, they had a nickname called the Broad Street Bullies. And, um, and there were stories that would be told, you know, for years that visiting teams, cause they had a very tough team, you know, with the Schultz and Billy Barber and all those guys. And that visiting teams would come into Philly and, you look at the roster, I'm like, where is everybody? And everybody kind of had the Philly flu. You know, like they had a, they had the sniffles that game, and they couldn't <laughs> make it. It was, it was very, uh, uh, and, and you know, we hear stories that 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 was very, very true of Toledo. That when people would come into Toledo, well, uh, because of the, you know, when you came into Toledo, you knew that you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a competition. You know, it, it, it's gonna be tough. It's they're gonna be skilled, and you know, you're gonna get to, if you're not ready to be to, to be able to take care of yourself and your teammates, you know, that's, uh, it's in, in that fashion, watch out. So yeah, the, the stories I heard after the fact, like, it was so hard playing you guys, you guys were all like monsters, but you always beat us like five, two, five, three. And I'm like, you know what? Recruiting good talent. People want to play here. Blue collar town across the river, if you will. And which also attracted folks from the, you know, the, uh, the east side of the, sorry, the west side of the river. 
And uh, it was just a great combination of, of, of bands to, to play for. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree completely. Because uh, th- th- those folks, they inv- they invested their their emotions in you guys. I mean, they really did. They uh, grew emotionally attached to a lot of the players uh, that were here. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, why some players still remained in the community after they hung them up, you know? No, oh, no question. No question. And Nick, we, we, we talk about that all the time when we get together, like whether it's a – uh, some of us skate at Thursday nights at Ottawa Park, whether it's, you know, you know, Suli and I talking, Juddy, uh, you know, Perillo when he's not doing his, uh, you know, I can say this is 7,000 uh, hockey camps he does. <laughs> you know, uh, Boother, you know, those guys, are, you know, or even Teske when he, you know, when he, when he has opportunity. I think we talk about, you know, like we stay, you stay in town, you stay in the roots. Everybody's got different motivational factors of why they're here. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it's amazing. We do these alumni things and, or you, you walk around and, you know, and, and somebody like, Somebody will look at you that maybe is not 100% familiar, but maybe they are. And they're like, you look really, really familiar. And, you know, it's like, you kind of go, well, you know, you don't disclose. You're like, you hope that they something, say something first. But, you know, most times it's, uh, you, you, you know how fortunate we were to play here and uh, in front of these fans. And it, it's amazing. Like I said, they, uh, to this day, some of these people, will, you know, some of these fans will say, like, you know, do you remember that game? And, and he's trying to be a little cloudy, but they remember things to a dime. They remember, you know, what the score was, what the weather was like. It was very sensible moments when, you know, these things that they, they remember. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it makes you look and reflect back and see how fortunate we were to play here. It really is. And, again, it just reflects on how much you meant to them, that they remember those things like that. Now, yeah. Now, how long did you play in Toledo? Uh, played two years, ninety-five to ninety-seven. Okay, and uh, did where did you go after ninety-seven? Ninety. So that's my my. Uh, so my next year would be my final year. Uh, like I said before, three to four years I was giving myself. So uh, I heard friends that would play down south, as I mentioned before, South Carolina. We did some roadie trips down in the. Um, down south, and actually a couple of ex-teammates, uh, uh, Purdy and Stitt, uh, went down to play in San Diego for the goals, and you hear kind of little hear remnants of it, boy, it's amazing down there, southern weather, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the West Coast Hockey League was doing an expansion model, and the Tucson Gila Monsters was due to an inaugural season. So I signed a, a quote-unquote free agency to play for Tucson. So played for Tucson for um, so I played for three teams that year. Uh, Tucson had financial difficulties and I ended up getting a, a traded slash sold to Bakersfield. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, Bakersfield, uh, the Bakersfield Fog uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was there for uh, uh, you know, so I was in Tucson for I would say I think it was probably about two months. And then I was in Bakersfield for about a month and a half, two months. And then um, just, you know, people get moved around in the minors for reasons sometimes you don't know. And then I ended up playing in Amarillo for the Rattlers uh, in the Western Professional Hockey League. The Whipple. The good old Whipple. Yeah. um, So, uh, so you you go to uh, Amarillo, and is that where you finished it all there? That's that's when I finished it all. And it was – it was, it was a great experience. I, I knew it was at the end of my kind of my three my, my, my term 
feel playing hockey and uh I, I looked at my age and you know i was you know i was mid to late 20s and college degree knowing you know i'm going to be competing with maybe 22 23 year olds if you realize as in you know entry level uh you know yeah. jobs in the workforce for in sales and marketing which is which i got my degree in at western i thought you know i don't want to age myself of opportunity in retirement as, as years goes on so i decided at that age that the to call it a day and say I've been one of the most fortunate guys to play the game, undrafted, untravel hockey, and meet a ton of great people, seen a lot of great things on, you know, hockey, hockey, you know, budgets dime, if you will, and, and be able to travel the country and do this for three or four years, you know, uh, it was great. Now, was there any difficulty for you as far as making the transition to life after competitive hockey? You know, that's a great question. You know, it, it's interesting. You ask people, um, you know, how do I say it? I'm thinking, you know, it, if I experienced a more grander career 10, 15 years in the NHL and I've established this net and there's different types of lifestyle luxury, I think that would be, that'd be make it more difficult. But knowing that how, you know, how fortunate I was to get where I, I got to and looking at what life was like and and for me i thought i exceeded all my own personal expectations and 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 i guaranteed others that you know didn't think so when i decided it was time i looked back and and actually it was like you know what it was a relief it was a relief that this was done um obviously the time commitment in the echl is the same as you would be in the american league or maybe not as much the american league and or at that point in time the NHL, but just the commitment levels of staying in shape, lifestyle, the uncertainty of where you can be playing. And because I played for three teams my last year and, and basically I got bounced around, I said, you know, this is good. This is, this is great. You know, let's just take a pause and let's move on to the next chapter of my life. Hey, so. Fair enough. Now, of course, the next chapter, uh, it led into you going into another phase where you didn't totally give up hockey, uh, and it, that is in terms of coaching. How did you get started with that? Yeah, so so it, it's interestingly enough, um, and I'll, I'll digress for a quick second. So, as you mentioned earlier on, I'm now the uh, the head coach of the women's club hockey program at Bowling Green, and I was sharing with the the girls not too long ago, like my, my team, uh, there because they want to know about my background. I, I said actually, I got my first coaching degree or certification, uh, excuse me, in 1988 in Ontario for Ontario High School Hockey, where I coached our women's varsity at my high school in Woburn Collegiate. So I started coaching in 88, and then, of course, throughout the the travels at Western and Toledo, uh, summer jobs of doing power skating schools and hockey schools at the storm here with Chief, with Greg Pahalski for a couple years. I've always wanted to um, I like to teach I, and I wanted to give back and it's something I was very interested in doing. And then, uh, at that point in time, when I stopped playing in like 98, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I got connected to the Toledo Cherokee program, uh, from their former coach, uh, Scott Searing, uh, cause he played hockey at Ohio state and kind of, and then he introduced me to, uh, Todd Omi at that point in time, who I think was undergoing his first year or second year. I get a little, little fuzzy. I apologize. <laughs> Late 90s there, if you will. 
And uh, he asked me if I was interested in helping out with the team. Yeah, I think it was ninety-nine, so, uh, two thousand. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're spot on. So uh, the next year, I, I, uh, I accepted a role. Uh, working with, and obviously great people with Dr. Rod McCarthy, Chuck LeVay, Mike and Diana Robertson, you know, those, those folks there, uh, Todd Omi, um, let's see, obviously, of course, yourself, Kirk Ludwig was assistant coach, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a bunch, a bunch of great, bunch of great people. And, um, you know, was behind the bench and an assistant, you know, supporting role. And it was, uh, it was great. The kids, the, the players are awesome. Lots of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I can go down a list of all the most of the kids and remember a, a, a cool story about all of them. So they're, they're, it was a great experience to to kind of get back into something I really enjoyed. Now, uh, when you were there, there there was I mean, I did a pot or a, a podcast earlier with uh, Ryan Potts, and Potsy oh, yeah. Potsy was telling me that uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, Witten, man, I tell you what, he was tough as nails, but he he helped mold me. He said because I just wanted to just you know, hang around the net and that was it. He said between him and, uh, he said, uh, later on AJ Rufo, he said, uh, he was a yeah. guy that also, you know, helped. Uh, and I just, the, I, I told him, I said, the thing I remember most about AJ, I said, was the fact that when we'd go on road trips, I said, Omi, Omi would try to razz me into stuff. I said, but AJ used to try to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and it usually and it usually involved uh, shots of El Toro, but uh, <laughs> I mean he that's fantastic. He he used to used to do stuff like that, and I'm like, you know, if you're gonna get me in trouble with this kind of stuff, the least you can do is get me some top shelf. You know? Exactly, exactly. Start, start, get off the wall a little bit, but uh, yeah, well, yeah there, as you know, there's a there's a gazillion, and that, that was very kind of potsy to say, and you know. You know, because the the idea is that you know everybody, every coach had a different role, and mine was more of a tactical role, and you know, and more of a you know, maybe a strategic role. I'm not saying that that obviously you know, you know Ohms or Luddy had you know different roles, but uh, you know, everybody, everybody, and I think this is something that I bring to the table in coaching. You take a look at players, maybe because I wasn't maybe the best skill, the best skater, but there's intangibles that you recognize in players and in how you develop and get players better is taking a look at their, their gaps, whether it's Potsy, you just mentioned Potsy in front of the net, you know, to uh, working on the back end a little bit, positively challenging these players to get better and then having them see the wider picture of how that's going to benefit the team in the long run. And so I, I know, I know you go down the list and I'm sure I wasn't, Many of those kids, you know, those guys are a few of those kids' favorite coaches. But uh, it's funny, like, you can Pete Darlis, like, on Facebook or whatever. Like, he always wishes you happy birthday. We always change things. And I see some of his stuff he does yep. uh, in, in his practices and his mentality. Uh, you know, um, the, the kids' solid goal, you know, and a bunch of other guys. So, we, and I pushed them, I pushed them to think differently, too, and, and, and to be better. And, and, and hopefully they, they took something from them because I think the best thing a coach can do is make your mark with a player that, you know, maybe you weren't their best friend, maybe you weren't the nicest, but you know what? You're honest, and the great players, you know, um, like Nick Saban may have said not too long ago, the, the, the players here are great, and they want to be told the truth. And so, you know, and so when you see the players that want to be better and you recognize that, you tell them the truth, and sometimes the truth it doesn't come comfortably. 
And but you know, it comes respectively as long as it's delivered in a very honest way. And Potsy and, and, and all those guys took it all the time, very honestly, which is which which is why it was a great experience for me. Well, you know, and the funny part is, is that uh, you know, I think it was him and I uh, back in his podcast, Dotus also. Um, both were like, you know, you don't recognize it when you're there, but you, you give it about 10 years and you'll realize what your coaches were trying to do. And then that's yeah. when you'll appreciate it more. He says, then you'll understand, you know, and, and that's a very true statement and a, a mature statement from these young kids and stuff. But, you know, I, I like I said, I, I and the other thing, too, I remember back then, too, I remember you telling me in an interview what, during one of our broadcasts of a game in between periods um you said something to me that uh that it, it kind of stuck with me obviously i remember it all these years later um the the idea that you try to win every single one of your home games in this league and then you said you try to win at least 50 percent of your road games so if you can split on your two game series and on the road he said that's 75 percent of your of your of your season he said, and if you can do that consistently, that's going to get you into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, you have to, you know, when you break the numbers down, that's going to get you into the playoffs. And then from there, it's, it's, all, it's all up in the air from there. It's what you, what the work you put in is what you're going to get out of it. And, uh, you know, I, for some reason that just stuck with me, with you. And I, and, and it's funny because I just remember, um, you know, you were, you were probably one of the more, uh, uh, not like uh, ah ha 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 point a finger funny fall down funny guys, but you were one of the funniest by being um, more I don't know I guess uh, you would you you knew how to chirp like unlike anyone else I knew. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I started going. I'm just listening. I'm actually chuckling inside deeply, very deeply. But go on. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking. You know, I'm like that was the and that's what made that era so much fun i mean omi was omi and, and he never changed and that's why we all love him and, and yeah. he he i mean just a great guy and a and a good very good coach and same thing with luddy luddy was just a right and i was just i used to razz luddy really bad because he was the one that did most of the intermission interviews with me from the coaching sure, standpoint yeah. and the reason was was uh, because and i told him right to his face and he would laugh we'd laugh about it but he, I, I didn't have to say anything. I would sit there and literally, I'd say, I'd say, Luddy, it's, it's a, it's a, that was a, that was an interesting period. It was a tough period. And then I'd get, I'd, ha I'd show, put the microphone in his face, and I'd have to switch arms because my, the blood would run out. And, and he would sit there and talk, and talk, and talk. That's, that's beautiful. Oh my God! I mean, it'd be like, uh, Luddy, the Zamboni finished cutting the ice. <laughs> Well, it's funny to comment on that. So, 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 so Todd was really good. Yeah, he was really, really good in the intermission. What he would do is, he, you know, guys would come in. You know, if they had to use the restroom, whatever, they could take for a minute or two, and then he would do. He would say what he wanted to say or need to say, um, if he had some. And then what he would do, he'd go down the hierarchy, and I was like third man because I was last guy. And then what he would do is he would go to Lunny, and then you know I would be the last guy, whether it's something I noticed technical, blah, blah, blah. Nick, to your point, <laughs> many times, you know, Luddy's talking, you hear the old, the whole thing, <laughs> off the ice, we gotta go. 
Todd's giving me the like, uh, I guess you're not getting last call, you know. <laughs> like, all right, boys, um, I'll talk to you on the bench. And, and Lenny's like, Fitz, I'm sorry again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It didn't happen all the time, but because he's, you just mentioned that boy, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember that to a T. Yeah. Lenny yeah. is the only guy I know that could probably. Uh, he could res- uh, talk longer than it took to read War and Peace. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, never, yeah. Never, well, that remind, I'm sorry, but that reminds me, we were up in Flint one time, and if Lenny's listening, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make his family oriented, but we were at a uh, um, an establishment, and they had karaoke night, and we're looking around, and I, and I, and I sort of, I, trust me, I wish I could remember everything like this back in the day, but um, I remember looking at Omi, looking at me, going, and I think somebody else, you, do you want to do karaoke? I'm like, no, no. And we were like, that's sign of money for karaoke. <laughs> you love to get up there. So we get, so, so Mick, I think it was like, hey, Jude from the Beatles, right? Yep. And you're like, and like, Kirk Ludwig, he's like, oh my gosh. Oh. I'm like, oh, you guys, I'm going to get you guys. You got to go, you got to go. And you get to see Lottie up there going, hey, Jude. I'm not a singer by any stretch of imagination. And we, and we, Talked about that for years, years. Oh years. my god! Even, even after the fact, but uh, but yeah, well yeah. Go, and going to your your comment about the home games and, and the winning every other. Uh-huh. You know, those, those were those were targets. And if you take a look, if, you, if you're seven fifty, that'll get you to play. So heck, you look at baseball batting champions. You know, I'm not a big baseball guy. What is that? Three fifty, three sixty. That may be high. I don't know. But, you know, that's 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 the you know. You think about that. And you get a batting title there. Yeah. If you put the expectation that, you know, we win every home game, this is our barn, there's no real reason why not to. And not to say that you're going to take every other night off on the road, but if you set that expectation and that goal in that segment, or those segments, that, hey, this is what we're going to do, you know, and if you don't even get to 750, maybe you get to 650, 700, but, by, but in life, if you don't set goals and set expectations for your players or even kids or whatever it is to follow – then you don't have a model or business plan to actually to follow. And that's something I, I learned on, and that's kind of how I always judge my, my success rate in the game of hockey. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you. Yep. You bet. I mean, it's, I mean, but it was true. I mean, that's you, when you pointed that out to me, I was like, that makes sense. You know, it really makes sense. And, uh, it just, it opened my eyes to a lot of things of what you guys do to get these guys prepared and to target, you know, try and reach goals and, and, and achieve these things, not, not for yourselves, but for them, you know, and that really, it opened my eyes to a lot of things that you guys do. And that's why I've always appreciated more and more, you know, the work that you did, that Luddy did, Omi, Kinsey, I mean, all those guys, Vargs, Dunk, uh, all of them, all of them, Tarsh, Dixie, uh, just, there's just a whole bunch of them there, uh, Bakes. I mean, there was a whole ton of them that were uh, before and after that. I didn't realize just how hard they really work. And it really, it, like I said, it was an eye opener. So now when, was there anything that really stuck out at you story-wise in addition to the karaoke uh, from, a, um, I guess, uh, from a practical joke standpoint, did you ever notice anything amongst the kids uh, any of the silly stuff they did? Oh, well, a couple. Now, first of all, i got to remember some stuff, which I was thinking about for this. And then secondly, i got to be careful not to uh, 
Uh, I understand. Censor slash get people in trouble because the other statue of limitations is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the best stories are the ones that you know are spoken behind closed doors. You know, and repeated. You know, sometimes. But yeah. no, you know, these these guys were were were, were great kids. Uh, uh, I think it was the era when they all. One of them, I, I think, remember when they all. I remember they was it they all dyed their hair yellow or something. Blonde, one yeah. Time. Blonde, blonde, and like. You see it sometimes on local swim teams as their initiation, you know. So those type of things. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to think of the, the road, the different stories they would tell on the road, and you know, it's a. You know, you know when for yeah. rookie for rookie initiation, I remember. I think you were there. Were you there the year that uh, Cole Herb played? Oh, you know, I'm not sure, and I apologize for that. No, uh, the only reason I ask is because I remember him, uh, he shaved his head and dyed leopard spots in his hair. That certainly sounds familiar. That certainly sounds familiar. And it was right around, I mean, you were with the Cherokee how long? From... A year, a year, a year, yeah. Okay, then that may have been that may have been after you, by a year. A year and a half, maybe maybe a year, yeah, maybe even after me. Okay. Well, still though, I mean, the fact remains is that the the fun we had on the road, uh, in addition to at home, but uh, I mean, those are those are those are crazy. Um, the, uh, I mean, you hear about stuff about kids, you know, the uh, when they do things like uh, they'll pull, they'll do leaners or you know, uh, shoe check that kind of stuff, um, as practical jokes and stuff, or else they'll uh, do stuff with the mattresses in their hotel rooms and, you know, the usual. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, did, yeah. Now, did you guys, when you when you coached, I'm sure you did a lot of fun stuff when you played, but when you coached, uh, were you guys, did you guys ever fall victim to any of their stuff or did you uh, try pulling anything on them? Uh, you know, we, we didn't do a lot. We left we left their creating creativity to a lot for themselves. Uh, I think for those that know uh, Todd Omi, uh, I think some more players. I mean, he was, best part about Todd Todd Omi is the fact that, like I said, when he, when he looked in the eyes, he was telling you straight up, wrong, right, or indifferent. You liked it or not, he's telling you the truth. And so a lot of kids, what they really appreciated with with, with Todd is that. He would tell them the truth, and he would have them grow. So, um, because of that, they were—I think—they're afraid. <laughs> they're extremely afraid. So, they, they, he didn't have to do anything to them because they're actually—they're afraid if he did anything, he'd be like, "Uh oh, I'm getting sent home with a, gar- a garbage bag." So, we kind of let the players do that for themselves. I think the players did some stuff with us. That, you know, um, they would call like the hotel front desk and like. We get a, a wake up call to, to room four twenty seven for five a.m. and I'm like, and you're like, you're just obviously back in the day, this loud phone call. I'm like, who is calling me at five a.m. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you, know, you hang up and like, I'm gonna get them. And all of a sudden, 15, <laughs> fifteen minutes later, another call. Like, and then no five thirty. I'm like, you son of a. I'm like, and you, and you know what? They're thick as thieves, and they would never, you know, they would never tell you. Blah blah blah, or you know, like we were out to dinner or something. They would, they, they, they uh, you know, they would. I think if I remember, they would like mix the like the, the sour cream for ranch or something. We were at the Bob Evans. So we're real small stuff. Obviously, we're, we're junior, they're junior hockey players, so they weren't like doing like big budget type pranks, like cutting ties when they're sleeping, you know, or anything like that. So 
you know, it, it was it was just you know very small stuff like that, or uh, you know, getting your getting your your shoes all taped up on the bus and thrown out in a snowbank, you know, and you get out <laughs> so you couldn't get off the bus, so just stuff like that. Nothing, and of course the stuff they did with each other, you know, the rookie stuff, uh, they didn't tell us, <laughs> or, or I wasn't uh, privileged to the. To hear what they disclosed others. So, oh my, yeah. that's funny. So now that's the, best, that's the best part about it. Sometimes you, you keep it to yourself, and that's the that's the protection of the locker room. You know, that's true. That's true, and, and it also helps build loyalty. You know, absolutely, no question. You know, and now, uh, so you you are in Toledo. What caused you to move on and uh, get to where you are now? In terms of hockey, yes. Yeah. So, so for a number of years, uh, my daughter started playing uh, for small in, in the in the, uh, the house league program. And gosh, 2002. Oh, sorry, I just lost my headphones for a second. I apologize. Um, let's see. Oh, yep, yep, we're fine, buddy. We're yeah, fine. For yeah. So I, I coached. Uh, I coached her. Uh, back meeting in 2002, I believe 2002, 2003, just in a house league program for, for a few years. And then um, uh, my son was born and then he ended up playing. So I was kind of involved with uh, her playing at, at Gataha, uh over there, playing, coaching the girls program there for a couple of years. And then he would be, uh, then he started playing hockey for a few years and then ended up, I ended up coaching the Sylvania North Stars AA program. Uh, for, for a few years and then my daughter um ended up, ended up stopping playing i think just because the lack of females and lack of you know uh competition around the area and she was looking to to look into going to other other things uh, she was going through you know junior high or, or high school and going to tennis and, and swimming so she wanted to kind of stop playing there my son kept on playing and then uh played actually a jv for uh for St. John's uh, in his in freshman year. And at that point in time, he was playing travel across. And he came up to me one day and said, hey, Dad, you, know, you, okay? you okay if I stop playing? It's um, not playing hockey. And I said, that's not a problem. And this was the year, this freshman year, where I didn't do anything in terms of coaching. I was just, you know, hockey dad. Yep. And then, you know, which, which was great. And then a year uh a year later actually two years later uh as of last year if you will and i apologize if i'm kind of going fast and jumping through the years um a teacher at st john's who was the head coach for the jv team dana rowmaker um was and she i think she worked with the, the varsity program at st john's uh she was also coaching like two other like north star hockey programs here in sylvania but she was also uh working with Bowling Green to start up a, a renewed club women's program there. And um, in terms of, you know, she was actually interested in me helping her out at St. John's. And she, and I, and she said, hey, would you mind kind of, now my schedule sometimes is kind of tight. I know you've got, you're not coaching and uh, would you mind doing so? And um, kind of funny side note, Mick, political move. She was also my son, Blazes, um, calc teacher at St. John's. Oh, <laughs> So if, I get, if the Cal teacher is asking me to help, and my son, who is actually a very smart kid and a, a very good student, like, you know what? This could be a good move. So yeah. uh, last right. year I, I, I helped her out, and uh, we had you know, a handful of six, seven players, and then she eventually got recruited uh, for a high school in Minnesota and ended up moving to Minnesota to, to uh, 
to lead a women's program of 35 women in high school and be, and be uh, I think, a department head in mathematics out in Minnesota. And so natural progression would be like, okay, my two kids, one's at UT, one's at Miami right now as a freshman, which is my son, my daughter, Sydney, is a, is a UT. I'm like, you know what? Kind of relatively empty nesters. I'm like, and I still want to stay in the game. The girls are Bowling Green, the ladies down there, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Uh, the great gals, they worked hard, really, really hard. And it's, it's a joy to be around. Um, it's, and they said, you know what, I'll just naturally insert myself as, as the head coach. And um, so this year I, I took the, the head coaching uh, job, if you will, and uh, you know, on, on a volunteer basis in the Bowling Green. Uh, their club director, of, uh, sorry, director of club sports, Bill Sweetie, who was a former um, Division One hockey coach at Kent State and part of the faculty at USA Hockey, he's obviously that's his, his current role. Um, offered me the position to be the head coach for the 21-22 season. So, so with that being said, I'm still I'm, I'm back involved with the game of hockey. Um, it's interesting that I went to Western, daughter goes to Toledo, you know, son goes to Miami, and I'm coaching at Bowling Green. It's like it was like the, the Mac Mac trifecta, whatever you want to hit for the cycle, if you will. So, uh, so right now we're doing that. We're, 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 we've got nine skaters, one goalie, and uh, I'm actively recruiting. I've got five or six student athletes that are interested in attending Bowling Green next year to play women's club hockey. Obviously, I've got a couple that are, uh, that are um, graduating. And it's, it's just a thrill uh, for the fact that during COVID times, you know, many women's programs are suspended for the year. And um, I was able, we were able to have a game scheduled for this Sunday at 8.30. Unfortunately, it's like invite only due to COVID spe- spectator regulations where each team only has 50 spectators involved. But, you know, some of these girls have practiced for two years, Nick, and have never played a college game with their, with their school crest on their jersey. Wow. So, so it's it, it's a thrill for me to be responsible, well, partly responsible for this to happen. And it's you know in the club sports of Bowling Green, a lot of it is student run. So I give them a lot of credit for sticking in. Just I guess can imagine practicing all the time. My practices not aren't always easy. Twice a week for almost two years. Yep. Without a game, I give them all the credit in the world to be motivated stick with it and uh and where it's at so anyways i, I didn't mean to digress there but it, it's been a fantastic time uh, being part of those ladies it's been great okay well let me ask you a couple more things here before we finish up um sure. uh if uh if there was one th- uh piece of advice uh going through what you've been through <sighs> from the time you were uh you know as a young kid playing to going through what you went through in college, uh, the minors, and, uh, you know, coaching. What advice would you give to a, say, a junior player or a, uh, a young college player? What advice would you give them based on what you've gone through and experienced? Right, exactly. So and my advice would be this. And taking a look, and that's a great question. I always talk about a team, and I've touched upon this during the course of our conversation today, is that you can't have every player be six foot three, two hundred and twenty-five pound, and play one role. A team is like a puzzle. Every puzzle is different, which means every role is going to be different. Every piece of that puzzle is going to be colored differently. So it's really important to be a 
team or successful team-minded person where you are going to play a role or you can identify with a role and be successful with it. And, and sometimes the roles that you're going to do may not, or you're going to commit to do, may not be the exact role that you want to do at that point in time. But you're thinking bigger picture and you're thinking, how can I develop myself to be able to fill that piece of the puzzle to move forward? And how you do that is you need to pay attention to planning, practicing, getting better every day, and realizing that it's not only your play that dictates that, but it's also, more importantly, I think, your character and your attitude that allows you the first impression for a coach to allow you to fulfill that piece of the puzzle in that rule. So to answer your question, Mick, it's kind of multifactorial, but it comes down to, you know, identifying opportunities, you know, networking in terms of what you're going to do to accomplish that, putting yourself in a position to be successful once you have that opportunity by, by working out, by mental preparation, by practicing. Once you do all those things, you know, success is a result of all those, all, all those opportunities put together. Now, is there anyone in particular you pattern, you wanted to pattern yourself after when it came to coaching? Let's see. You know, I, not necessarily one, one person, if you will. I, I really liked and what I really appreciated with was uh, two, 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 two gentlemen, actually three gentlemen. It's kind of a combination. You may remember earlier conversation, David Gilbert, yep. when I was in Oshawa. So David Gilbert was one at 12 years old. Uh, in junior hockey, uh, Stan Butler, who was my junior hockey coach at Wexford, uh, he, he's another one. Uh, Dave Gilbert, obviously, early on because of the preparation and the expectations of, of for, for younger younger kids. Stan Butler, because for for some reason, he was never going to lose, and in the positive confidence that he exuded, and and, and, and the trust he had in his players was was another thing. Um, and then the third one would be who's as a head coach at Cornell for probably 24, 25 years is Mike Schaefer, and Mike Schaefer and Schaefer he would. He would talk to me because, hey, you know, hey, Wed, if you, if you really want to be a good hockey player, like you got to have an, you know, a relentless effort in the work, the weight room, and this is what you got to do. And then he'd point to give you an example of somebody else. So he would use peer accountability, you know, to, to develop me in his preparation and, and and basically being truthfully honest and to players that want to get better and saying, hey, this is what you're good at, this is what you're not good at. You know, everybody at the level is good at everything. But if you want to get better or you want to advance the next level, get extra special in one thing. And you provide constant feedback on that. So um, to answer your question, it wasn't specifically one. It's parts of three, if you will. And I think all three together, kind of how I model my, my coaching philosophy and, and how I do things today. Well, uh, that bodes the question then. Uh, do you think uh, maybe someday you'd like to coach at a higher level? That's a, that's a that's a great question. Um, it was interesting, and, I'll, and if you have two three minutes, I'll tell you a true story. Go ahead, take um, your time. Yeah. So, uh, so in my old, one of my previous previous roles, I traveled in the state of Michigan, and I was in Grand Rapids. At that point in time, Jeff Blaschel and Pat Burschweiler were head. Well, Blaschel now obviously being with the Wings, but Blaschel being a head coach 
of the Grand Rapids Griffins, and Pat Firstweiler, next teammate, was assistant coach of the um, Grand Rapids Griffins. So every time I was in town, I said, hey, you want to stop by for coffee, drink, whatever, you don't want to, whatever you want to do. And so um, I said, yeah, I'm coming in town. So he goes, yeah, stop by. We have pregame skate. So literally, I, I, go into, I go into Van Andel, and I'm, you know, I'm dressed up because I got an appointment like in an hour or two. And I said, hey, I go, I'm looking, some guy said, hey, can I help you out? I said, yeah, I'm looking for a Pat Firstweiler. And he said, oh, I think he's in a meeting. And literally, he walked to the this room and knocked on the door and stuck his head. And he goes, he goes, hey, yeah, some guy here is looking for you, Patty. And I'm like, don't, don't, don't go in there. Don't, you know, don't interrupt. Yeah, whatever. And he said, who is it? And he goes, hey, hey, what's your name? I told him, hey, my name is Mike Whitten. And they said, hey, Mike Whitten. And he said, yeah, they tell him to come on in. So I go into this room, Mick, and I look to the right. It's Blash, Jeff Blashell, okay, to, to sitting down, Pat Fershweiler beside him, Chris Chelios beside him, um, Holy Mike Knubel. Oh, yeah. So I'm sitting here, and they're going through a pre-practice plan. And I'm like, and then the first, she's like, and then the newbie pretty well. He was, I'm back in the day, we we're like stallmates after Josie left. And, and sitting down, sitting down, and it was interesting. And I tell the story to, to, to the girl and some people that, that I coached in the past. Is that they're going through like these drills, and it's interesting. And like the same drills they're doing at the, the American Hockey League level, you know, we do or we did through the North Stars, many of the same drills. And it's just, they just sort of had a tighter concentrate. And I'm sitting back and I'm looking, okay, this is what they do for a living. This is what they do. And then and I share with the girls, I'm like, they start talking to the drills' names. And I'm like, and then like, and they say, hey, Wits, uh, hey, Wits, by the way, uh, here we we named the drills after the, the guys that somehow struggled to, <laughs> to, to get them. So it's like this, this drill is like, Smith drill or Brown drill. It's like, you know, I'm like, ah, I get, I go, I may pick up on that one for the future. But uh, this is like maybe 10, seven, 10 years ago. But I sat back one time thinking, obviously, these guys, these guys, Nick, they've done their time in junior hockey. They've done their time, you know, traveling around on buses more than probably. And that, that's, that's the grind is that they did their time and that worked and they developed their craft. And, you know, at this point in time in my life, you know, uh, you know where I'm, where I'm at, yeah. I would love to be able to do something like that, but you know, you have to build a body of work and have a network of things to be whatever, whatever the career could be. Uh, who knows? Yeah, would I have to be grandpa, maybe be a coach in the future? But uh, right now, with Bowling Green, the girls. But but anyway, so anyways, I sat down and just listened to them all. And the coolest guys in the world. It was it was such a pleasure. I was kind of struck for a second. I was like, I didn't ex- I expected maybe just you know. Jeff and you know and Pat in the room, but like no, no, they're going through this whole thing and talking about players and this and that, and it's just just to be able to talk hockey at that level with four of those guys was was, was quite an honor. And just you know, moving forward, it was uh, you know it was like geez, I go and of course I had practice that night and I incorporated one of those two drills and sure enough, my the the, the kids that I had they, they did it great, they did it great. But right now, to answer your question. Uh, the Bowling Green State University Women's Club team is 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 just where I want to be, and nowhere else. That's hey, that can't ask for more than that. Okay, last question. Well, it's not so much a question, but um, Cherokee Nation, they they listen into this pretty good, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, is there anything in particular you want to say to the folks of Cherokee Nation here? You know, I, yeah, absolutely. So you know, having the opportunity to kind of seeing it, you know, having friends. 
you know, when you're a little older, who've got kids that are going through the junior programs and stuff, you know, I, I can't shake the people behind the scenes, the the billet families, the uh, the fans, the the, the the mix, if you will, you know, the the trainers, the uh, you know, the people who've got a, a vision to keep this this the, the Millers, the Kennys, the, all the coaches that you know. If you, if, you, if you want to, or you an opportunity where you have knowledge or you want you can give back, because a lot of these kids, you know, they're coming from California sometimes, you know, and you them all over the place, you know. Um, they want to they continue their career, whether it's club hockey, whether it's D3, D1. You know, if there's an opportunity where you can support these, this team in any fashion, I will, I'm guaranteeing you that the time you mentioned earlier on, it may not be reflected upon by the players and the, and the kids at that point in time, but years down the road when they're kicking the can and doing other things, they look back and realize, you know, it was a very fortunate time. And it's only fortunate based on the people who give their time and give their efforts, and whether it's fans and everybody I mentioned, to be able to do that. And so uh, if you have an opportunity, if you can give them that or just go Go watch a junior game. Go watch. Go online. Take a look at you know Google Twiddle Cherokee Junior Hockey. Find their schedule and support them. I'm telling you, it goes a lot longer than a long ways. And the thing, and these kids and the organization certainly appreciate it. So I'm very thankful. It's been a great time. You know that one one and a half years, and uh, it's just uh, it was a great story. It was awesome. Yeah, no question about it. Well, Mike, my gosh, it, I I say this every time, but it's true. It only seemed like a few minutes, but we've uh, we, we've been on here a while, so uh, I, I I appreciate it, man. This is that I, I I've just enjoyed reconnecting with you, and uh, I'm sure we will do we will reconnect again because uh, that's the one thing about hockey, you know. It's like the 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 folks involved. You may not talk to each other for a good long time, but when you do, it's like you'd pick up where you left off, you know, you just, uh, you just reconnect and it's always a good time because, uh, hockey is just that rare sport where it's not just the game, but because of the game, it affords you a lot of good things and, and friendships and relationships. And you talk about networking, but friendships and relationships, all those things come aboard, uh, when you talk about the game of hockey and what it can do for you. And this is one of them, and that's having you as a friend, and I appreciate that a ton, buddy. And now that I know how to get a hold of you, we can probably we can I'll, I'll probably have to go down when we're able to, when they allow us to, to go catch a BG women's game. That's that's great, Nick. And this has been it's been my pleasure entirely. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, this is like you're right. I look look at my watch. It's like oh my gosh, an hour, seventeen minutes. Not too often can I talk. An hour and seventeen minutes in a month, let alone an afternoon <laughs> on a Thursday. Uh, let is, alone, unless unless your name's Kirk Ludwig, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Ludwig's got he's got you got to book him in uh, every other day for two hours, I guess. So poor Ludwig is here; he'd be loving. No, but this has been a great trip down memory lane. It's been it's been fantastic. Uh, I, again, thank you for the opportunity to share my story and a little bit about me. And, and you know, um, Toledo is a great hockey town with a lot of different opportunities, from juniors to obviously to the, the, the Tamos to Bowling Green, University of Toledo Club Hockey, everything. It, it, just go out and support your, your local hockey if you can during these times. And uh, I'm sure it's uh, something that we all 
We all miss very much so. Yeah. Okay. This is great, Nick. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it most. Uh, it's uh, episode 53 here of the Cherokee Rewind. Mike Witten, thank him so much. Don't forget, you can subscribe to any platform you use, whether it's iHeartRadio, uh, TuneIn, uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon podcast google podcast subscribe to cherokee rewind and every time a new episode drops it will notify you so for mike witten i am mick thank you so much and we'll catch you next time on the cherokee rewind